0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. Com. It is, of course, Canucks game day. They're still in the New York area. taking on the New York Rangers today at Madison Square Garden. Four o'clock start uh, here on the Pacific Coast. And uh, now joining us to talk a little Rangers. Look ahead to the matchup today. He's an NHL analyst for Daily Faceoff. Also covers the Rangers for the Blue Crew podcast. He
1: is Johnny Lazarus. Johnny, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Thank you, guys. I'm great. I appreciate it. I also got to attend the Canucks morning skate today and talk to Rick Tockett, Teddy Blueger, and Quinn Hughes. So I'm all up to date on my Vancouver.
0: Canucks. There you go. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. You were you were tweeting out some of your thoughts. What were your just general impressions from, you know, taking in the Canucks practice in the morning skate today at Madison Square Garden? Well,
1: I actually forgot who replied to me. So I hate to discredit people, but the vibes were very high at morning skate for Vancouver this morning. And uh, I kind of want to I want to try to find the reply, but uh, someone on Twitter said, this is an all-time vibes for 60 matchup where both teams (laughs) are just, you know, feeling it right now, having a good time, playing good hockey. And, you know, tonight should be a track meet back and forth offensive battle. Uh, obviously Demco is getting the start for Vancouver and it hasn't been fully confirmed yet, but it looks like it's just circuit for the Rangers. So it should be a really fun matchup tonight.
0: Yeah. Vibes has been a big part of the story for the Canucks uh, this year. No doubt about that. And I mean, look, it's easy to have uh, good vibes when you're winning as much as both of these teams are. And I, you know, I did see you mention on social media as well, that you had a good chat with Quinn Hughes about just some of the things that have been clicking for the Canucks this year. What did you take away from that conversation with the
1: Canucks captain? Well, it's funny because I had the chance to talk to Quinn and I've known Quinn for a couple of years now, actually. We, uh, you know, randomly met at a bar in New York City. He was with Jack and uh, Josh Norris. And I, like, they were just sitting at a table and no one recognized them. And I was like, hey guys, like, I played hockey. I know who you are and I can't believe no one's coming up to you. Um, So that was a funny way to meet. But uh, yeah, I've known Quinn for a bit. And Quinn was telling me this summer, I saw him at uh, the Player Media Tour and he was like, dude, all I want to do is play meaningful hockey games. Like, Quinn is just... You know, to a T, like Rick Tocket even said, a hockey mirror, like he just wants to win hockey games, win a Stanley Cup and compete. Like, that's really all he's about. And I think the takeaway I got was that, yeah, he's happy with how the team's playing. And, you know, he feels a, a big responsibility being the captain and trying to lead this team, you know, to a Stanley Cup this year. And he believes that they can do it. But he also understands that it's a day-by-day process. Like, he's not looking too far ahead. He knows how long a season can be. And he said they haven't even played 40 games or just about played 40 games. So they're just about halfway through. There's a lot of hockey left. So Quinn's definitely not getting ahead of himself. Uh, He still feels there's room to improve with his game. And, you know, I think he's just, you know, a great all-around kid and I think an even better, you know, if not better hockey player. I mean, the guy's been such an incredible player to watch all year long, offensively, defensively, he does everything. And a lot of things go underappreciated, but he's also just such a good kid. And uh, it's really cool to have the chance to talk to him one-on-one. Hey, Johnny,
2: how closely is the Canucks – surprise run being tracked by hockey fans in New York at the moment um does this game matter for a guy who according to the betting markets you know Quinn Hughes is the favorite currently to win the Norris like does does a strong performance tonight you know at MSG under the big lights matter for him in that respect you think
1: yeah I'd say for sure I mean for the Rangers I think every game matters right now because you know I can't speak for the Canucks but as far as the Rangers fan base goes last year was an extreme disappointment uh, with how they lost to the devils. And I think, you know, this year, this Ranger group has that chip on their shoulder where, you know, you can't come out and and play a really strong game against the Boston Bruins or win an overtime, but then, you know, come back home and lose five one to the Buffalo Sabres. So I think, you know, a big thing for them is, is measuring sticks. And I know every game is the same two points up for grabs. It doesn't matter who the opponent is, but when you see the fourth overall team in the NHL right now come into town, you want to make sure you play your best game. So you know, I, I don't want to say it is a measuring stick game for them because, you know, they lost 6-1 to to Carolina last week and that's not the Ranger team we're used to seeing. That's just a fluky game. But, you know, obviously with the, the best team or one of the best teams in the Western Conference coming in that, you know, could potentially be a Stanley Cup matchup, you want to bring your best effort. So uh, I think every game for the Rangers matters right now with just how bad of a taste was left in this fan base mouth after last year's playoffs. So, um, you know, I will say this is a very important game for the Rangers and the Ranger fans. in addition to the vibes and some of
2: the interactions with Talkit um what was there anything that you saw today that sort of stood out from what you've seen other teams do at a morning skate i, I mean i know you talked about sort of Talkit and and Quinn Hughes having a laugh at skate like can you just sense that this is a team uh feeling it at the moment
1: yeah, I mean, also, like, it was weird because usually morning skates are about, like, 15 to 20 minutes, and then uh, the teams kind of break up into sections, work on face-offs, power play, all that stuff, and the Canucks were out there for almost, like, 45 minutes. I don't know if that was, uh, you know, something that the coaches enforced, or if that's just players wanting to be on the ice. Like, even Rick Tockett said it today to the media, like, you got to drag Quinn Hughes off the ice. Like, he is just a guy who loves being out there, and you know, him, JT Miller, Brock Besser, like, they were, like, the last guys to get off. So, you know, if that's the example that's being set, your top guys staying out for an extra, you know, 10, 15 minutes, working on their skill set, like that just sends a message through the entire group that, hey, we're, we're not satisfied with where we're at right now. As good as we're doing, like we want to get better and we know we can improve every single day. So I think that's something that was really noticeable. That doesn't really happen uh, with most teams in the NHL. And granted, they could have done that because they're probably not going to morning skate tomorrow, being that they're on a back-to-back. But, you know, I think just having your captain out there skating for 45 to an hour is just you know, such a good mindset to set through the rest of the team. Um, and as far as Rick Tocket goes, like, you know, yeah, they're, they're laughing, they're goofing around, having a good time out there. And I think it's important, too, to, you know, not be too serious for morning skate, but, like, even J.T. Miller, who's, you know, one of the leading scorers on this team, like, he missed a, a wide-open backdoor pass and, like, you know, a regular three-on-two, three-on-0 flow drill, and he, like, screams an F-bomb that echoed through the entire Madison Square Garden. And then, you know, he gets on his course and skates down fast the other end to, like, kind of not punish himself, but, you know, like, just to, to stay locked in. Um, And I think that's so important to this Canucks group too. Like last year, I think there was, you know, a lot of times they looked like a good hockey team, but then they had a couple, you know, three, four game stretches where they just totally looked off. But I think the biggest thing for them is flipping that switch night in, night out this year. They've been consistent since the first game of the season.
0: Yeah, look, we've talked a lot about the job that Rick Tockett has done with this team this year, and as you said, really transforming what they look like on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, look, in addition to all of the star power on the ice in tonight's game, you've also got, uh, as we were saying earlier in the show, behind the benches, the two betting favorites for the Jack Adams Award right now in Rick Tockett and Peter Laviolette. First year for Peter Laviolette behind the bench for the Rangers, and as you mentioned, really disappointing playoff exit for the team last year. What kind of impact has Laviolette had on this team and helping them get to where they are in the standings right now?
1: So it's really rare that you find a coach that you have nothing negative to say about. <laughs> and I think this is the first time, I swear, this is the first time as a hockey fan or, or you know, even just you – know, I haven't been covering the game for, for a long time, Um, This is probably my like third year really covering the NHL and covering teams and like having access to players and coaches. So I'm still new in in that regard. But as far as just like being a hockey fan, I think it's very easy to complain about things, especially coaches, because if you look on Rangers Twitter, there's probably 5,000 people who think they can run a team better than an NHL coach. But this guy has been, you know, as close to perfect as possible. And yeah, there's been some bad losses, but you know, it's the NHL, you play 82 games, you're not going to have the best effort every night, but The Rangers sit 26-10-2 going into this game. second or tied for second-best win percentage in the NHL. And Peter LaViolette has had so much adversity. He's lost Taco. He's lost Heedle. Igor Shusurkum is out for a bit in the beginning of the year. Adam Fox missed a month of hockey. Like The Rangers have had every single chance this year to come up with an excuse to not play well, and they haven't made any. You know they've brought up AHL players like Johnny Brodzinski and Will well, Will Will the team out of camp, but Johnny Brodzinski, now Brendan Offman, uh, Adam Edstrom. You're just seeing all these guys fill spots and not just be bodies out there, but actually make an impact. And I think that goes to show just how much um, the standard of play, or how high the standard of play, excuse me, is for this group. Where someone can come in, they can take a cab to MSG three hours prior to game time after getting called up get plugged into the lineup, know exactly what they're doing on every single play and every single situation, and even score a goal. So I think just Peter Laviolette's overall um, fiery personality, his X's and O's, and just how much he cares about the players and the way he treats them has, has gone such a long way with this group.
0: And, you know, the star on the ice, I mean, there's a lot of star power for the Rangers, but Artemi Panarin is having just a sensational season. Look, we're used to seeing Artemi Panarin rack up points. You know, over the last however number of years, he's been one of the most consistent point producers in the NHL. It does feel like it's kind of jumped up a level, even even from his normally very high standards this year. Like, what's going right for Artemi Panarin? What are you seeing from his overall game so far this year for the Rangers?
1: Well, he's made me look like an idiot because I predicted that he'd have have 88 points this year, and he's probably going to pass that probably, like, game 50 (laughs) uh, with the pace he's at right now. But um, I think the biggest thing for Panarin is just his aggressiveness shooting the puck. Uh, You know, the last two years under Gerard Gallant, Panarin would have the puck in the slot, and he'd look for a backdoor pass, but this year he's letting it rip every single chance he gets. I mean, the guy's got 25 goals in 38 games. Like, he's not really... Uh, a shoot first guy or hasn't been known to be a shoot first guy. I think he had twenty three goals in the entire season last year. So he's already surpassed that, which is insane that we're not even halfway through. Um, but the biggest thing for Panarin too, and you know, just like the entire group with the chip on the shoulder theme, there was a lot of criticism for Artani Panarin the summer. You know, there were people who were like wanting to trade him. Um, you know, they thought he was a huge playoff disappointment. And he was actually disappointed in himself. You know, he came out in the media on, on exit day and he talked about how uh, I guess his mental psyche was just not there. You know, he felt like he was trying to do stuff and it wasn't working. It wasn't working. And he just lost his confidence throughout that first round playoff series. So Panarin has a lot to prove this year. And, you know, I think people look at him and if, if you don't get to watch Martin Panarin every day, I, I feel bad because this guy really is like, if you look at him closely, he's just out there having fun. And any chance you get to talk to him after a game, he always tries to give you a laugh, come up with a funny quote or, or something. And, You know, even when things are bad, he tries to keep it light. And, uh, you know, I think he's such an incredible player, an even more incredible person, and it's great to see him have success because New York fans can be very, very tough on their star athletes. And I thought they were going to turn their back on him this year, but um, he's won the hearts over again.
2: Johnny, some interesting commentary from Rick talking about what the Canucks can learn from the Rangers' power play. The Canucks' power play was... Lights out to start the year, but has sputtered a, a little bit of late. Um, as someone who watches the Rangers' power play close, what, what specifically stands out about them? What should Canucks fans, and not to mention Canucks penalty killers, be aware of going into tonight's game? What
1: was what, what was the term Rick Socket said? Massaging the puck. I, I think that's what he yeah, said. I was in the yeah, the this morning. yeah I found it that was one. Massaging I was in the that puck. Drum. Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to be in that scrum this morning and hear him talk about the power play, and I found it very interesting, actually. Dan Rosen made a really good point where, you know, Chris Kreider is a guy who flies under the radar in the entire NHL. Ranger, Ranger fans have known to appreciate him, but I think throughout the league, I don't know if he gets enough appreciation. I mean, he has 20 goals already this season, nine of them on the power play, and, uh, you know, he's become the best net front guy, in my opinion, and Rick Tockey even said it this morning as far as power plays go. But the Rangers, what, what you know, gets them going on their power play is that, all five guys in the ice are a threat. You know, Adam Fox, he can draw in a guy, and he's probably one of the best passers as far as NHL defensemen goes. He's amazing at setting up Zivanejad for the one-timer or hitting Panarin on the strong side flank. And then Panarin can now shoot the puck. He's a shooting threat, but he also has that passing ability as well to zip it across to Zivanejad for the one-timer or behind his back to Fox again. And then Trocek in the bumper has been so active. He wins battles, wins faceoffs. He's been one of the best face-off men in the NHL. So winning a faceoff off off the bat in the offensive zone is huge just to get your power play set up. And then Chris Kreider in front, you know, he can't be forgotten. And he's probably, you know, I I think if most people are scouting the Rangers power play, you'd probably look at it and say Kreider's, you know, maybe that under the radar sneaky guy, but he's arguably the most dangerous. Um, So I think that's the point that Dan Rosen tried to make this morning is how do you defend the Rangers power play, knowing that Chris Kreider, who's probably the least irrelevant one on paper, is the most dangerous. It's just, you know, they have so many different threats. And I think. You know, that's kind of what the Canucks can model their power play after. But, again, when you don't have that net front presence, it's a little bit tougher to, uh, to do. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I think the Canucks actually, in Washington this morning, they might move the puck better than the Rangers do, but I don't think they have as many – threats as the Rangers do if that
0: makes sense just before we let you go here Johnny uh, you know you mentioned a few times the disappointment for the Rangers following the playoff exit last year and we know you know some of the big moves they made at the at the trade deadline last year with Patrick Kane and, and Vladimir Tarasenko with the expectations and the disappointment right coming into the season and the expectations where they are based on their play how would you expect them to approach the trade deadline this
1: year it's such an interesting question. Um, and it's probably a Rangers fan's favorite question. Like, I swear, I've been getting deadline <laughs> questions since June, uh, which is crazy. But for the Rangers right now, I think it's really important to find a, a third-line center. And I don't want to take away credit from Nick Bonino. He's been you know, pretty phenomenal defensively in penalty killing. But everyone knows in the NHL playoffs, if you want to win a Stanley Cup, you need that secondary scoring, right? You need a, a strong third line that can score goals for you. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. And, uh, you know, I think missing still a Hedel has been a huge loss for this team. They actually had Hedel as a second-line center to start the year and Trocek as a third-line center. So, you know, if you have Vinny Trocek right now, who's been a pretty strong player all year as your third-line center, you're looking pretty good. Um, But right now, just with with the way the roster is shaken up and with Hedel's injury, I think they have to go out of the deadline and acquire a pretty solid third-line center, someone that can score maybe 20 goals a year. Um, And I think that would make this team just a little bit deeper. Whereas in the past years, it's been, you know, find that right-wing scorer uh, you know, last year they found two of them in Kane and Tarasenko. It didn't really work out for, you know, whatever reasons. Maybe it was the coaching. Maybe it was just too many big names in the locker room and people, um, you know, trying to – I can't think of a word, but, um, you know, trying to pass the buck too much to Kane or Tarasenko. I don't know why I'm blanking on that word. I don't know. It going cost me after. I'm going to be pissed off. But you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, deferring. Deferring. Is, huh? Deferring. Yeah. Thank you. Deferring. Yeah. I thought people were deferring to Kane and Tarasenko a little bit too much. Um, but this year, you know, you know, what's interesting. And I don't want to like, not that I'm starting any rumors here, but an interesting guy that could maybe use a fresh start that the Rangers could go after is a guy like Shane Pinto, a younger guy who can score 20 goals. Mm. Um, you know, obviously his whole situation in Ottawa, he just joined the team this week. Again, he'll be playing pretty soon. He's a New York guy, grew up a Ranger fan. I think, you know, maybe if they go after Shane Pinto, a younger third line center that could contribute in a playoff run would be you know, the perfect guy to get. Because let's face it, the Rangers can't get any older. So uh, going after a young third liner is, is kind of what they need.
0: Johnny, appreciate the time and the insight, man. Uh, enjoy the game between the Canucks and the Rangers. Should be a good one. Hope so anyways tonight.
1: Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. And, yeah, I would imagine tonight's the game to watch. So uh going be fun. All Thank right, cheers. Happy New, Year.
0: That is, Happy New Year. That is Johnny Lazarus, as mentioned. NHL analyst for the Daily Faceoff also dialed in on the Rangers specifically for the Blue Crew podcast and a good follow on Twitter as well, sharing some of his thoughts from the Canucks morning skate and on the Rangers season as a whole and you know it's a good point Renzo. you brought it up as well we always talk about the the Canucks going back east to play in Toronto and that being such a spotlight game and it's on Hockey Night in Canada and the, the Toronto media is going to be there but I mean just from that interview with Johnny like I think we got a sense of how much extra media attention there is when you're at Madison Square Garden as well right and the extra bodies in the scrum and you know two teams near the top of the NHL standings with tons of star power guys having sensational years you know front runners for the Jack Adams front runners for very awards, there's going to be a ton of eyeballs on this one, even if it is a Monday night game and not, you know, the featured weekend game.
2: Yeah. And even if it's taking place at the same time as the, um, you know, the national championship playoffs, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, well, and I, I actually, um, I was chatting with Quinn, uh, sorry, I was chatting with Tyler Myers. And as Johnny said, Quinn Hughes was on the ice so late that I was actually sitting in, in Quinn's stall and this is one of those things that you know normal people wouldn't think about, but but a, for a beat writer, if you're sitting down in someone's stall and the equipment's not up yet, right? I always like keep an eye on the door because you never want you never want someone to be like move. <laughs> At least I don't. So like I was keeping an eye on the door, and um and Hughes walked in like way late, and I was like Johnny on the spot like up before he even stepped into the room, uh, which which had him laughing by the way. Um, but I didn't get a chance because Johnny started interviewing him to ask, him, ask Quinn if he was sweating. I was going to say, tonight. yeah. Um, um, but I guarantee, I guarantee he is. <laughs> that's one of those you get off the ice, you check your phone type games, I'd imagine, for a big Michigan Wolverines fan like Quinn Hughes. Um, one other one – other, well, two other funny locker room stories. One is the Madison Square Garden, the room is designed for NBA players, right? And and I don't know why this is, but it's the only room in the NHL, the only visiting room, where, like, the only player in the league who can – or the only two guys in the league who can comfortably place their skates and helmet – or, sorry, their shin pads and helmet on the top of their stall is, like, Tyler Myers and Nikita Zadorov, because these <laughs> are the lockers, like, made for them. They're NBA. And, uh, and it was really funny because I'm interviewing – Myers who's like no problem, just like lanking up and putting his stuff and then Quinn Hughes like leaping <laughs> you know, to get his which which is like no commentary on Quinn Hughes like I would have to do that well, and I'm six foot tall.
0: It's funny though because like, you know, point guards exist in the NBA, right? Like what does oh, yeah. Chris what no, does Chris Paul are... do when he goes to Madison Square Garden? <laughs> you
2: know what <laughs> well, I mean? I mean he doesn't have as much equipment. Like yeah, I guess. Has, yeah. I don't think he I just think he uses the hand. He just doesn't but, he uh, doesn't have to use the shelf at all. Right. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, right. But like the the I feel bad for these guys. Like the vast majority of guys, it's not easy to use those, um to use that dressing room. And then the other one was post game in New Jersey the other night. Uh, I was interviewing J.T. Miller, quick one-on-one after Ian McIntyre had finished, and uh, and Connor Garland in the wake of watch the games Drancer, Right, yeah. Walks over, walks over, puts a hand on each of our shoulders, and goes, "Oh, look at this, you two." <laughs> Which was good and, and earned him some chirps from, did, from Miller. So did it was you con- good
0: fun. And you confirmed to JT that you did watch the New Jersey game. You were, oh, of course. You, of you, course. were with you were a, with a fine tooth. I comb. was gonna say you were like really triple checking all of the like, okay, who passed to who on this a- sequence. Asking
2: and- asking the most detailed possible questions <laughs> to show how closely I'd watched the game. No. <laughs> the the one the one thing that Miller told me that I thought was funny, um, was I asked him about the empty netter late that him and Dakota Joshua combined for, right? And there was like four passes between them as they worked their way up ice. And I said to JT I was like, given how well you guys played today and the fact that it was still a, f- a one goal game because of a bunch of bounces. And by the way, I want to note that on the Brendan, I don't know if anyone saw this, but the Brendan Smith goal, the scoring changed to Nico Heesher mm. over overnight. like on Sunday some point, the score the the Brendan Smith goal was credited to Nico Heischer. so that was not a clean beat on a 60-foot Brendan Smith um, slap shot. That was a deflected puck, um, which should, you know, I just, I'm just, I just bring that up to defend Thatcher Demko because those games happen. He hasn't been lights out for, like, six weeks here, but, like, that was not as bad a performance as it looked, you know, three non-scoring chance goals against. There, there was some bad luck at play more than there was poor performance from the Canucks netminder. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I asked JT Miller if like, they were being extra careful with it because they'd played so well, but it was still a tight game and they really wanted to make sure to get it right. And Miller said, no, I was dead tired. I had no legs. And every time I passed the puck to Dakota Joshua, he was giving it back to me to try and get me the hat trick. Nah. And I didn't have the legs to take it, so I just kept trying to give it back to him, and finally he finally he took the shot. Uh, so I thought that was funny. Like, good context on what happened late as, uh, as Joshua and Miller sort of dissected a, a pressing Devils team to Seal. Vancouver's victory in Newark
0: Uh, good stuff uh, from the locker room after the game we will talk to Justin Cuthbert from the fan 590 in our next segment before we do that Vancouver Giants next home game Sunday January 21st tickets are now available that's against the Kelowna Rockets BC division matchup there Uh, and for more on the Giants it's time for the Giants report with play-by-play voice Nathan Cantor
3: the Vancouver Giants are back in a playoff position And the man most responsible for that would be goaltender Brett Merwald who posted a 48 save shutout this past Saturday in a road win over the Brandon Wheat Kings including 29 saves in the second period alone. Merwald has now made 40 or more saves 8 separate times this season and the Giants are now in 8th spot in the Western Conference with 32 points. Merwald over his past 6 starts has been fantastic posting a record of 4-2 with a 1.99 goals against average and a 9.48 save percentage. Providing the offense for the Giants on Saturday was forward London Hoylett scoring his first as a Giant, forward Justin Ivanusick, forward Tyler Thorpe with his team-leading 18th goal, and Ty Halaburta added an empty netter as well. But the Giants began their five-game road trip on Saturday in Brandon, and they will play four more times this week, including tomorrow their next contest, against the Prince Albert Raiders. On Wednesday, they'll head to Saskatoon to take on the Eastern Conference-leading Saskatoon Blades. And then on Friday, it's to Regina to take on the Rebuilding Pats before finishing the trip on Saturday against the Moose Jaw Warriors. All games on this road trip will have 5 p.m. Pacific time starts. Next broadcast for the Giants will be on Tuesday. That will be on the Alt Street on Sportsnet 650 with the Giants again tomorrow on Tuesday, January 9th. Taking on the Prince Albert Raiders. Time to take a quick look at those standings. As mentioned, the Giants now in 8th place, and they partly have the Medicine Hat Tigers to thank as they beat the Spokane Chiefs 10-4 yesterday, meaning Spokane stays in 9th place with 31 points. Again, your Giants with 32 points. They are in 8th spot, and they're just 3 points behind the 7th place Tri-City Americans. A reminder to Giants fans if they haven't already circled the date that this Wednesday, January 10th, is the Western Hockey League trade deadline at 2 p.m pacific time and so we'll see what moves general manager Barkley Pernetta has in store for this club now the Giants do get a big name back in the lineup perhaps bigger than any trade they may make and that is forward and captain Sam Honzik who will return to the club During their East Division road trip this week, he of course was playing for Slovakia at the World Junior Championships and has only played in five games this season. The Giants will surely welcome his return to the lineup this week. Giants next in action again tomorrow in Prince Albert, taking on the Raiders. Puck drop tomorrow set for 5 p.m. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan Campbell.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Strance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Now joining us on the line from our sister station in Toronto, Fan 590, part of the pregame show there, fan pregame show uh, at the Fan 590. He is Justin Cuthbert. Justin, happy new year. Thanks for doing this. How are you?
4: Uh, Appreciate it. Doing pretty well. Uh, How about yourselves?
0: Yeah, we're doing well. Uh, Lots going on. And the big story around the NHL today, of course, is uh, William Nylander securing the bag in a major way. Eight-year, eleven point five million AAV, and you know it's even a better contract from a lot in a lot of perspectives than just those raw numbers for the player. What's your immediate reaction to the Nylander extension in Toronto?
4: Yeah, it's pretty stunning. I mean, I think we heard uh, enough leaking out of the camp in the negotiations that we kind of like were able to digest. Uh, what the number was going to be, but it depends on when you were asked that, right? Like asking it now and understanding it now, like, okay, it's a lot of money, uh, Mm -hmm. but this is kind of what he's been this year. But if you ask, if you put that figure out there four months ago, six months ago, a year ago, I mean, it would make, I mean, it would be totally off base and credit to Nylander because William Nylander apparently put this number out or put a number out there similar in the summer. And of course, uh you know all all signs were that hey there's a divide there's a chasm between these two sides there's no way they're going to get on common ground but then William Nylander just showed up and played like an 11.5 million dollar player and for that reason I I think before he even achieved it he kind of set that goal and got himself there uh eventually which is impressive and I I think he deserves credit for that but there's no doubt this is going to come with complications uh Immediate term, short term, long term. Mm -hmm. I mean, you name it, there are repercussions tied to this deal. Uh, And it just feels like the Maple Leafs are sort of in this cycle that's unending where the next one's going to come up before you can kind of settle this one down.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the reaction that I've seen kind of instantly, and obviously you'd be much more plugged in there in Toronto than I am, but just there's this kind of recurring gripe or criticism from Leafs fans about how management approaches these or at least performs in these negotiations with star players right going back to you know the first big Matthews extension the Marner extension obviously Tavares in free agency that they're paying it's you can look at all of them and say look these are elite players they're totally deserving of these salaries but it feels like they're always paying at the very top of the market for these players how fair is that criticism of you know it was Kyle Dubas in, in the past, now Bradshaw living. How fair is that criticism in your in your eyes?
4: Well, I do think it's fair, um, but this is a culture that was set and uh, cultivated long ago, right? Like, and I don't want to blame Dubas for everything because I think, you know, maybe Lou Lamorello had a bit of a part in it too, although Kyle Dubas was the one signing the contracts, but Brendan Shanahan, certainly hit, he's involved in this uh, and, and it goes down the line. But I think when comparing other players or comparing other organizations, I, I do think that's fair. But I think you have to consider each individual. And if you're looking at, I guess, the big three, we'll talk about Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and William Nylander. But like, Austin Matthews is that guy where you just give him whatever he sort of sees fit. And, and if we're being honest with ourselves, Austin Matthews probably did give a little bit back. I think it's a fair contract, it's not something that's going to completely cripple uh, their cap. So, uh, in a way, they gave him everything off the bat. But I think Austin Matthews did give back a little bit on this latest deal. But William Nylander is not the guy who's going to give back. And Michael Nylander, I mean, you can talk about the lineage. You can talk about the agent, Lewis Gross. I mean, he just comes from a situation or an environment where that's not going to be the case. And as much as he as he enjoys living and working and playing hockey in Toronto, uh, I don't think he was going to be shortchanged. So then you have to ask yourself the question, well, do you want William Nylander or not? And if you want William Nylander, you had to hit his price eventually that he eventually got to himself with his play so each individual and we'll put Marner in there as well definitely has to be considered here and maybe they're different than a Nathan McKinnon or so on and so forth but the problem I think or one of the bigger problems is Marner who's kind of caught in the middle like kind of wants to be maybe there's a little brother thing going on wants to be Austin Matthews wants to play with Austin Matthews I think where they really really took a misstep in all of this and I guess this is Kyle Dubas was allowing Mitch Marner to really, really control his contract negotiation. Mitch Marner, just as much as Austin Matthews, got everything he wanted. And now I think it's right to be bracing for what this next one could look like starting in July. And I know we can't, you know, we can't see that contract for uh, another cycle, one more year of his current deal. But what Mitch Marner might want might be as unreasonable as anything that they've dealt with. And, and that's speculating just a little bit but kind of understanding that these guys are all trying to one up each other, it seems. And when, when that's the case, uh, it leads to a really, really dangerous situation. And I wonder if the martyr negotiation is when this kind of collapses a little bit.
2: Justin, even beyond the money here, you know, it's buyout proof. Uh, the bonuses, the bonus structure pays him 30% of his deal, basically in the first two years. Um, I mean, is this a leaf's thing or is this a sign of things to come with, you know, projected cap growth sort of coming back into the system over the next year or two?
4: I I think it's a sign of things to come. I mean, I I think one of the things that actually annoys people in Toronto is the idea that, hey, you know, front loaded contracts and bonuses and all that, that should be stuff that only we can do. But that's just simply not the case. I mean, I I think this is going to become the norm where you know, it's not even about giving back and because you get a little bit front-loaded. It's just like, no, that's what we expect because we're this player who's going to get top dollar and we're going to get the dollars up front and we're going to get the maximum security. I just think that's the reality for star players who actually have that bargaining power. And again, maybe Nylander falls a little bit short of that in the eyes of many, but he put himself in that at that tier. He talked himself into that tier. He played himself into that tier And I think he backed the Maple Leafs in a corner because I don't think they want to do Envision Life without William Nylander. And for that reason, he got all those things that you were only supposed to get being, you know, the 1% playing in a 1% type of city.
2: With Nylander in particular, I mean, how vital was it just in terms of what this team is and where they're going to get this deal done? Like, do you buy that he was indispensable to this Leafs project and for Max' term?
4: I I do, I do and I don't. I I mean, just, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, right? Uh, And I think they have, they've put everything into this John Tavares era. Uh, They can't afford to lose William Nylander and see what the other side of it looks like. There's no point really, I mean, I guess there is a point in having Austin Matthews, but you set things up to surround Austin Matthews with these players and what happens if you're forced to make a trade or what happens even worse, if you just lose that player in free agency, I honestly think it was just, uh, it was two options. It was you do what he expected uh, in this negotiation or he was going to walk. And I don't think this was necessarily a game of chicken for William Nylander. I think it was simple as, Hey, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this as much as there is sentiment on his end. uh, I think he was, ready to leave. If that was the case, I just feel like that's the difference between William Nylander and maybe a Mitch Marner and maybe a lot of other players uh, around this league. So if you want to see all this through, then I feel like they had to do it and they had to do it on Nylander's terms. And what's the point of getting this point and having all this failure, if you're not going (laughs) to see it through. Right. And it just, I think they were almost in a, I can't call it a no win scenario because you got William Nylander for the next eight years Uh, But I really, really think the leverage was lost uh, over time here. And it it was lost because William Nylanders had such a great season, but also because he has this carefree attitude about how he approaches all this. And it was really going to happen under his terms and only his terms.
0: You know, you talked about the ramifications of this deal, short term, medium term, long term, and just pulling up cap friendly and looking at the salary situation for the Leafs next season. Right, this contract will kick in. The Austin Matthews extension will kick in, so he'll be up over 13 million. And John Tavares and Mitch Marner both on the last years of their deal. So Marner's just a hair, he's at 10.9, but other than that, that's you know basically four guys making at 11 million or above how challenging is that going to be for the Leafs? Just not even worrying about, you know, years two through eight of the Nylander extension and what might come for Marner and all of that, but just the crunch next season and the amount of money they're paying to those four forwards. How difficult is
4: that going to be to manage? It's going to be incredibly difficult. And and I think part of this was, this conversation was, hey, do you just punt next season to get this done and, and reevaluate things once Tavares' money comes off? Is is that sort of the medicine you have to take here just to get this done And I don't think it's quite at that level because, yeah, the salary cap's going up. But the problem is all the money that every other team is going to be using, well, the Maple Leafs just had to give to Austin Matthews and William Nylander and nothing is really going to change, right? I mean, they they went into the season... Uh, with an incomplete defense core. It's still incomplete. It's managing, but it's incomplete. They still need to add someone. They came into the season without a third-line center. They could only give a one-year contract to both Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi. Like, they're just sort of tinkering around the margins until there's some Relief, But every time you sign a new contract with one of these guys, that relief gets completely stymied and it will be stymied by these two deals with Austin Matthews and William Nylander. And again, we're bracing for that with uh, uh, Mitch Marner in, in a couple of years here. So it just feels like, yeah, the relief is coming. But the only ones that get relief or the only ones who really benefit are the stars themselves and Bradshaw Living's just going to have to continue living in a world where you're trying to find Tyler Bertuzzi because he didn't get the deal done with Boston, or you're nipping around the edges to get a Simone Benoit who's going to play big minutes for you, or you're trading capital at the deadline to bring in a defenseman who's going to complete your defense score that is going to be incomplete for upwards of 60% of your season. I mean, it's just the reality, I think, in the NHL, but that reality is starkest, I think, here in Toronto.
0: Talking to Justin Cuthbert from Fan 590 in Toronto and uh, looking around the league uh, right now a little bit, Justin, I believe three Canadian team or sorry, four Canadian teams uh, because the Oilers have snuck back into a playoff spot. So four Canadian teams in playoff spots right now, uh, the Leafs, the Jets, the Canucks and the Oilers. Who do you think is the most legitimate Stanley Cup contender from those four
4: teams? It's suddenly a pretty, a pretty interesting conversation. I mean, I, I don't know if we're if we're banking on a Canadian team to finally end this drought this season, is this year? I have no idea. But suddenly, it seems like there's a reasonable amount of contenders. I mean, you can't really argue about what's going on out there in Vancouver. I mean, it, they haven't really slowed down. Like, I understand that there's some things that would suggest, hey, it might go back to the, the to the or drift towards the median a little bit. But it just feels like there's something working and cooking that's not going to be slowed down. Edmonton is the hottest team in the NHL right now. They've been brilliant of late and I probably won't go back on my pick because they're starting to play like the team that everyone expected they would be during the season. I don't think the Maple Leafs are quite there. I think there's too much uh, too much firepower, especially in the Atlantic division. I think Florida is going to be an absolute nightmare if they have to deal with the Panthers again. But it might honestly be the Winnipeg Jets who I'm just clamoring for a move for them. Some sort of aggression from Kevin Dayoff to just add to a team that is playing like a playoff team, uh, a successful playoff team that is in the NHL. I think they got something cooking. Uh, I think Connor uh, Hellebuck has been as good as he's ever been. I think that defense core is rock solid. I I just think, you know, getting deeper after the Dubois trade, if they can make one move, Bring back Kyle Connor, bring in another guy who can make something happen up front. I think Winnipeg could be that team, uh, especially if it's able to hold on and, and win the central division.
0: Justin, really appreciate the insight. Uh big news day, I know, out in Toronto. Lots of interest in the Neilander extension. Thanks for doing this.
4: Appreciate it, fellas. Talk soon, Drance. That is Justin <laughs> Cuthbert <C-Cuff. Cuff. laughs>
0: from Fan, fan Five Ninety, the fan pregame show, uh, in Toronto, sharing his reaction. To the massive, massive William Nylander uh, extension. Um, uh, Jamie, ahead.
2: just to just to I'm I'm going on their pregame show to set up Rangers. Cause oh, it's okay, in like two there, hours. There
0: you go. All right. <laughs> so you guys got to um, chat.
2: Very good. Yeah. So uh, so chatting again with Cuthbert in moments. Um, do you want to tier Canadian teams?
0: I mean, I know you do.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, obviously. I I, mean, I gotta that's... be honest.
0: I almost I asked the the question about the four Canadian playoff teams, and I almost asked him to do it in tears. But I was like, no, I gotta leave that to Drance. I got I gotta <laughs> leave. That's the Drance trademark. I don't want to <laughs> step on his territory.
2: Anyone can tear, my friend. By the way, um, um,
0: what was the? N- yeah. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. Before we get into the tears for the Canadian teams, I don't know when the Nadir of Edmonton's season was. But it was like, oh boy, it's gonna it's gonna be tough to even get into the playoffs for Edmonton. You know, they're gonna have to play this they're in the playoffs. It's January eighth. <laughs> not even half the season is
2: done, and they're back well, in a playoff spot. I mean, remember remember what I kept saying, man, which was like until we get to the point where it's like they need to play at a hundred and ten point pace and even that only gets them into the low nineties, I'm I'm not selling. You know, like that yep. was always my take on the Oilers because I <clears throat> Here's why. Here's honestly why. Their underlying form never dipped below elite. You know, like as bad yep. as everything was for them, they were still controlling play. at just such an outrageous clip that I thought, like, I didn't downgrade my opinion of them too too much beyond just being like, "hoof that goaltending." Oh boy, and I. But I still feel that way, and it kind of doesn't matter. They're outscoring their issues, which. You know, also sort of brings us back to what I liked so much about Vancouver's game on Saturday, right? Like, three non-scoring chance goals against. Like, Mm. that was a regression game, right? The Canucks hit every manner of post. They had a a goal disallowed. You know, like, they had bad luck. They were terribly unlucky in New Jersey. Otherwise, it would have been like an 8-1 game. Like, with just standard luck, that's an 8-1 game. But this team's been so fortunate, you know, you... You don't expect them to keep being fortunate. If if you can add this gear, if you can play like that, the bounces aren't going to matter. And that's sort of where Edmonton's at, right? Like where you control play th- by this big an edge, by this big a margin, um, you know, uh, eventually things are going to start to go your way. And once they do, you'll cook. Uh, so that's sort of why I'm excited about what we saw from the Canucks, and that's, I think what's happened to Edmonton, and I'd mention another one, which is, I think that's what what's happened to Carolina. Like, Carolina's skating nearly everybody out of the building over the last month, and it's like, yeah, I mean, eventually the pucks were going to bounce their way and this was going to happen. That was always inevitable because of how they control play.
0: Uh, all right, so, I mean, last note just on the Edmonton situation, with the way Winnipeg is surging, right, and there's a possibility that Winnipeg takes top spot in the conference, right, Mm-hmm. Edmonton is the second power play or the second wild card team potentially and then you're going to have the four like a bloodbath of a of a bracket on the Pacific Division side right? If it's like the 2-7 yep. the matchup and the 7 is Edmonton and then the, the other matchup is like the Kings and the Golden Knights or the Kings and the Canucks or something, like, ooh boy, that could be just an absolute gauntlet on the Pacific Division side. Lots of time still to see how that all plays yeah. out and where the seating is and everywhere, but I was just looking at that today and it's like, man, winning the division, it, you still obviously you really want to win your division, but like the reward might not even be uh, that phenomenal in the Pacific this year.
2: It's only going to be phenomenal if the pacific division winner um also wins the conference yeah 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 like i I think i mean that's where because i i think edmonton like do you really see one of nashville st louis or seattle or arizona holding off edmonton like i think edmonton's going to be the first wildcard team and and probably well not even edmonton Edmonton is
0: more likely to catch edmonton is more likely to catch la right than they are to not to, to like fall behind one of those other teams that you're talking about,
2: yeah, or or the Golden Knights. Yeah. I mean, you know, or maybe the Canucks. Maybe I don't think so, but like, you know, I I could absolutely see Edmonton ending up in a top three spot in the Pacific themselves. Um, yeah, no, it's a uh, it's it's been interesting because the middle class in the West has not met my expectations this season, and yet, you know, I think at the top end, the Pacific Division's still at the gauntlet that I expected. Um, it's just that, you know, Seattle's certainly not as good as I thought they would be. And and Calgary is not as good as you thought they would no, be. No, they certainly they <laughs> certainly
0: are not. That was oof. That was a tough one uh yesterday for Calgary. Uh okay, oh, tiers. We, we do, Cana- do we want to do Canadian? Do we want to do Canadian team tiers here quickly?
2: Yeah, let's okay. do it.
0: Okay. I'll, um You started off.
2: Yeah, I mean I think I think like bona fide contender tier for me it's Edmonton.
0: Edmonton
2: yeah. won and I'm tiering them alone.
0: Okay. I, you know what? I mean, I think I have to – I think it was the show you were you were gone on Thursday and somebody texted in, who would you want to play most in the first round, uh, Vegas, L.A., or Edmonton? And I said the team I wanted to play the least was Edmonton just because of the McDavid yeah. factor, right? No, so, I, uh, like, I, I can buy that. If, if they have such a ridiculous – Trump card at the top of their lineup with McDavid the weight and you know he's back, fully back, right? And Dry that yep. yeah, I can buy that, putting it at the top of the tiers. I think in my second tier, I would have all of Winnipeg, Toronto, and the Canucks in there together.
2: I see I wouldn't. I okay. would have Winnipeg and Vancouver.
0: Mm, okay. And I'd have
2: them separate from, from the Leafs. And and here's why. Um I think Winnipeg like Winnipeg stumbled into something when Kyle Connor got hurt. That first line, which gave them You know a a different gear like here's sort of how i think about it i think about i think about like what engines do you have and which engine can be the fastest like which team can ultimately ramp up and create an environment where they're the most likely to outscore their opponents and when when winnipeg sort of stumbled into that velarde ehlers shifley line um it changed the trajectory of their season and so i'd sort of put them second ahead of the canucks um but like only only slightly, because I think there's a chance that the Canucks just had their own moment where they found another gear themselves with this you know re- reunion for Miller, Besser, Pedersen. So I need to I want to at least see more of that. Um, I think there's a real chance that both of these teams have like the ability to create that top of the lineup like dominant environment at a level that I'm not sure the Leafs do. And I'm not sure that the Leafs, like, have that stumble. I mean, they, you know, who knows what happens. But, like, I look at that Leafs' defense um, and their goaltending, too, although, I, I'm, you know, I'm holding some Joseph stock, And I think, man, like, Winnipeg and Vancouver feel more complete to me at this point than Toronto does.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Like there's certainly questions. I mean, for me with the the goal scoring season that Austin Matthews is having, yeah. right? Like that's almost that, that that's where I'm coming from. It's a and look, Nealander's having a phenomenal year as well, right? So they do still have those weapons at the top of their lineup that are really really special um even though as you said there's very legitimate questions about what they can do on the blue line and and where their goaltending is going to go as well well that's interesting i like that take that's a bit of a spicy take but uh, i think it's fair given what we've seen from toronto so far and then we're left with a bit of a dog's breakfast at the bottom <laughs> of the canadian teams right with calgary ottawa and montreal still left to tier. I think I would still – and you're going to roast me for, like, still holding Calgary stock, but I think I still like Calgary the best out of any of those teams.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a hot take.
0: Yeah. Like, (laughs) not that that Calgary's impressive, but the other two teams are really unimpressive.
2: Yeah. I I, I mean, I might put Ottawa at the bottom. I think that's fair. I honestly – I honestly think I might. And maybe that might be like a
0: little bit of recency bias from both of us because of the dreadful performance we saw them turn in in Vancouver last week, right? But like that was really bad. And I, you know, go ahead.
2: No, at least Montreal, at least you know what you're going to get. Like, you know that Montreal is limited, but like they've got this like fast young blue line. There's a pluckiness to Montreal. There
0: there was no pluckiness to Ottawa. Montreal is plucky.
2: Like, at least, at le- you know, and, and when we're talking about, you know, teams that we expect to be below fake NHL 500 the rest of the way, you know, I, I kind of think, like, the team that I trust to compete hardest, um, you know, after March 12th is going to probably be the one that I give a, a narrow edge to. And right now that's Montreal by a lot, by a lot over the Ottawa Senators. Um, you know, unless unless Steos and company go out and identify their Rick Tockett, mm. right, like their answer to Rick Tockett, And maybe it's Jacques Martin. Like I think Martin's a good coach, but man, that 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 senator's team plays glum hockey, and I I find it difficult to, as it stands today, anyway, buy into that at all. And then, yeah, I mean Calgary, I think, belongs in their own, you know, version of never, like their own sort of no man's land of just mediocrity at the moment.
0: Uh, Glum. Never never a word you want associated with your hockey team. A, they play glum hockey. Uh, all right. I enjoyed that. Oh, always got to find an excuse to do some tiering on the show. Uh, and one of the other things we love to do on the show, of course, is hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, who did speak in New York uh, before his team takes on the Rangers. So we will hear from Rick Tockett next to your final segment coming up. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the show here. Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance with you live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Of course, it is a Canucks game day, 4 o'clock start. Uh, which means Canucks Central on right after us today. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah taking over, and then they'll have the pregame show for you as well, beginning at 3 o'clock. It's the Canucks, it's the Rangers, two of the top teams in the league at Madison Square Garden, and uh, Rick Tockett, Canucks head coach, spoke at length to the media in New York today. Here is Rick Tockett. Is
5: in for Jules tonight and Demko starting? Yep. How, uh, I mean, we could see that at some
2: point someone was coming out of the lineup how hard is it for you to take jules note given the way he's played really hard i mean
5: he's really doesn't deserve to come out i think he's played really well for us so you know we got healthy guys so we're not. we have to come up with a system maybe rotation or you know who's playing well type of thing but uh yeah he's done a really nice job uh jules, especially on the pk so you could foresee if everyone's healthy and you have all these nhl caliber d now that you actually rest some guys and
2: take guys out on back-to-backs and things like that? Just well,
5: we have to look at that option, you know, and we have to have, you know, guys buy into that because, you know, that's the, the, the stage we're at. You know, this, it's about being a team, and, and we'll, we'll deal with all the other stuff. But, yeah, yeah, we have some healthy Ds that, and like I said, uh, a guy like Juleson has been playing well.
2: Cole to the right side yeah. with Zadorov, mm-hmm. and they've played together Yeah, um, in the bubble even. Um, was that a factor in sort of how you're lining it up with your first game with these six?
5: Yeah, you're always looking who can play the right side. You know, you know. sometimes coaches, like, can the, guy, can the lefty play right? I mean, those are discussions you've got to make. Some guys can't. Um, and, you know, Kohler's done it before. He's a veteran guy. So um, it's about positioning, uh, being able to take the puck in certain positions to, to make sure that you still play north. Um, that's really what it comes down to when you have the righty, lefty, you, you play faster. Uh, but there are guys that can play their offside and, and still be good.
2: You seem noncommittal about the idea of necessarily sticking with the miller petterson besser trio um, <clears throat> after the New Jersey game, but we're going to see it again tonight, at least based on line rushes. Did you sort of go back and, and have a rethink, or, or why, are you, why did you situationally stick with it today?
5: Well, a lot of different uh, teams, you know, you up sometimes and you, you look at different, you know, scenarios. Uh, there's uh, uh, it 's different teams, different matchups. You know, you go into different players, where, uh, buildings where... You know, you're going to need Miller at one line uh, taking draws or a PD. You know, you, you, you know you, you, I don't want to say you weaken, but you do kind of, there's some mismatches that you kind of lose. So uh, we'll, we'll deal with it. You know, it's, you know, Edmonton had that model. Like, you know, you know they had them together, but they, they don't, and they one what, 15 in a row. So, I mean, I, I have the option to do it. And, um, you know, whatever we do, it's going to be situational. Right now, it looks good. We'll see how it goes
1: rick you talk about pressure and how it's only going to get harder playing a complete team like new york is this an example of one of those situations
2: where it's a great test for your group
5: yeah because you know if you make coverage mistakes their um you know scoring rate is a lot higher than other teams so you got to make sure that you know we're in the right spots you know uh, they don't need very many two-on-ones or three-on-twos they got that kind of talent so more than ever you know you always want to be good structure everybody wants to be in good position but I think tonight especially we got to we got to make sure we protect the guts of the ice that's something that we've kind of last two or three weeks we've kind of slipped a bit a lot of goals in, in the slot area so uh, against this team we have to protect the middle
4: in a big picture sense
0: for Quinn Hughes what does he do that you didn't know he could do
5: well I think he just controls play you know when the team's put making a push uh, he can get out there and you know, if there's a breakout and there's pressure, he can get out of the, He can get out of a forecheck and be that one man. You know, one man breaking a forecheck. You know, I remember when I played guys like Scott Niedermeyer and stuff. They were so good. You th- you think you know you got the forecheck on him. Somehow he gets out, and now he's leading the rush, and now you have three guys buried. He can bury a forecheck, and I think that's one thing I, I didn't know he's really really good at is breaking a forecheck. I wonder if you could just speak to the value of having that. You know, well, it's huge. Yeah, because if you don't have good breakouts, you know. What happens is you're in your, your end a lot, and I think whether we like to play fast, but the odd time, Hughesy, when there's heavy pressure, he can wheel the net and get away from people, make that one pass, and then have a four-man attack. There's not a lot of D-men in the league that can do that. I mean, there's you know, I mean, there's quite a few, but you know, the, the Makars, Heiskanen's, you know, Hughes, there's a lot of those type of defense that are they're tough to play against because they they break forechecks.
4: Yeah, and that type of thing too. I mean, we
0: you can easily look at his numbers and say, oh, this guy's an offensive, team. but that type of th- that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get a point off of a play like that, right? I mean, right. It's, just, it's just that type of
5: skill that's unique <clears throat> to him. Yeah, yeah and, and, and also his quickness. You know, some Ds are different to, to break a cycle. It's more aggressiveness in the sense of hitting. <clears throat> he's, he's quickness. Like he gets in there, gets puck, and gets out. So there's different ways to defend. It doesn't always have to be brawn and hitting. There's You know, he's more positional, quickness, and puck possession to defend.
4: Has Aaronic pairing helped elevate Quinn at
5: all? How has that helped him? Well, I think, I think especially early on, uh, when you have the right you left, the sling, like Aaronic's really good at deception and then giving it Quinn. You know, I think that's a big key is, get, you know, everybody wants to pass to Quinn. I get it, but everybody reads it and they just go at Quinn. But if you watch Aaronic, you know, he'll fake. All of a sudden, everybody goes to him, and now he gives it to, to Huggy. Well, that extra second for a guy like that is huge, that extra second with the puck. As far as
1: the off-dice maturity goes, Quinn just said you call yourself more of a teacher than a coach, but what has it meant for you being with him since training camp? Because last year, you didn't have training camp with him as far as his maturity level goes.
5: Well, I, I mean, for me, building a relationship when I first took the job last year. Um, just to build a relationship with him you know, is, is huge for me because I, you know, he didn't know me, I didn't know him. And there's some system change. You know? he, he, there's some stuff that you know, he had to break the way we play. And uh, it's taken him chipping away at it. So that's the way the, the relationship we have um where he trusts what we're trying to do like you know he's the captain of the team I and mean, when the captain trusts the, the coach and stuff it goes a long way so i you know i think we're still building that trust but it's uh, something that you know you got to work at and he's a he's a pleasure to coach i mean he's a hockey nerd and he loves the game i mean you got to kick him off the ice so he's just one of those guys you always want to be around
4: you're just a couple of weeks <laughs> away from your one-year anniversary with. Is this what you thought this group could be? Did you expect to be leading the division, second in
5: the second in the conference? Well, I, I didn't expect anything. I, I, me, I was more concerned about the process of, of trying to get what, the way we want to play. You know, a more you know, harder team to play against, more north, all that sort of stuff. And so I was more concerned with the process, not not the honestly. I, you know, obviously, I'm going to be judged on results at the end of the day. But to me, I was more worried about the process. You know, whenever you use the word culture and. That's why you know bringing Footy and Gotch, you know, trying to establish what we want and what the organization wants. It's not just us; it's Patrick and Jim. So it's an organizational kind of thing. So, and sometimes there's going to be some collateral damage on when you change culture. You know, and, and we're not scared of it. You know, to make, to make the you know sometimes you're going to make mistakes, and I think that's something that, you know, I think the players see that too. Like we're willing to be aggressive with whatever decisions we make.
0: When when you coach against the Rangers, as you will that, I mean, you look at their power play. Weapons all over, right? You, you guys have that too. Where does, like, a guy like Kreider fall into that? You know, we've got to pay attention to because he's the one that can sneak behind you and you can lose him easily, and then he's angling a stick and it's going in. I
5: yeah. think he's the sir, the, the straw that serves the drink. He's the guy that plays that net front as good as anybody in the league. Um, his deflections, he's got that back, you know, that play there. He does. It's almost like a Crosby type of play that's outstanding. And what happens is when you're a PK coach, you're like, oh. We got to, you know, you worry about Panarin, you're worried about the, the Banajak one time or you're worried about Fox's deception, you know, Trochek's in the middle. I think he's got, Trochek's got five or six p- power play goals and he plays the middle. But you got to worry about Kreider because he's, he's the big, so now you worry about Kreider, one of those other guys going to be open. So I think it's an outstanding, like, I mean, I just looked at it today. Like, we, we could learn from their power play. Very rarely that they, they massage the puck. It's off their stick. And they know wherever it goes, if they beat pressure, it, it goes to the net. And that's why I like their, power, their, their mindset. It's not, uh, you know, hold it and we have great players. No, no, it's we beat pressure, it's, gone. it's going somewhere. And what's the end result? Kreider in front of the net.
2: Rick, you mentioned when you were asked about the Huron-Hughes pair that uh, may, l- looked a little different earlier in the year. Um, have teams changed how they yeah. defend that pair, especially some of that <clears> throat> interchange throat> stuff that yeah. we saw? your team generate a lot Yeah, they're basically. pushing
5: out a lot harder. Uh, they're, they're actually, you know, it's no different. You play, you know, our, our game plan against Yossi and Hayes you, you want to be out there, you know, you don't want to, you know, sink. So w- now we have to start developing other plays where if they're going to come out, you know, Huggy or, or Hirona I have to start using the low play a little bit more now. You know, we can, those other things aren't going to work. So we're going to have to adjust to the other team adjusting to us. It's a good question. With,
2: uh, with Zadorov, I just want to ask, seems like he's been pretty and not this isn't negative I mean like he's yeah. been quiet relative to some of what his game looked like in Calgary hits rates down shot rates down a little bit, but he's obviously been effective for you nonetheless. Um, what are you seeing in his game? Is it something that you're looking for 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 that pair? I mean I know he's not playing with Myers tonight, yeah. but for that pair to be a little bit more like a stable defensive oriented
5: pair yeah i think for him there's a little bit of system change i think it's affected as he's he's, it's you know one steamboat and then he's 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 acting like we want him to be aggressive Mm -hmm. um and i think right now he's that second late because he's like okay am i supposed to go strong side like i think it's a system thing so i think we we realize that but i'd like to see him a little bit quicker on closes and and maybe a little bit puck decisions on playing north a little quicker mm-hmm. because you know maybe there is a system change maybe you know maybe before they want him to hold it and regroup and stuff like that or maybe they do splits out you know in the corner we don't do that so I think it's important that he you know he needs some time to, to, to break those the system it's not a habit it's, it's just what he was taught
1: you've had players in for 75 games his numbers before the change are virtually identical um, is his consistency something that maybe has impressed you the most
5: yeah, I mean, it's I, I actually like his <clears throat> defense. like, I mean, obviously he's a great offensive guy, but he's, I like his defensive, he's, he's always in good spots, you know, he'll make him stay, good, like everybody, he's a human, but I, I just find his defensive position is better than I, you know, Greeny told me when I got here, he goes, he's a good defensive player, so um, I gotta give him a lot of credit for his defensive play.
0: That is Canucks head coach Rick Talkit. Good question, Dranser. Getting in the middle of the scrum there for the question about the Hughes and Hronick pairing. There you go. Congratulations.
2: Yeah, and, you know, they were late for the bus uh, at one point during the scrum. Adam Foote came out and uh, actually signaled to me. He was like, rap, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I didn't get a chance to follow up with Rick off record, but I think – Bruce Cassidy and the Golden Knights. I think I said it at the time. I thought they played Hughes and Hironic differently than everyone we'd seen before that. And since, I think you've seen them have a lot less space up high to do some of those, you know, change-offs. Uh, some, of the, some of the amazing, intricate passing things that Hironic and Hughes were able to do early in the year. I think those got sealed off a little bit, you know, after that Vegas game in late November. Um, that's just my observation. I, I wanted to ask Tockett if he felt that way. Um, so I'll do it at some point off to the side, because that's not something I want to ask a coach on record. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, am not surprised that he's noticed it because I think it's been noticeable ever since the Canucks, that Canucks lost to Vegas. Uh, even though Vancouver has been good enough to find answers, despite that, I, I do think, you know, you can see in your mind's eye, like what it looked like. I mean, it looked like Harlem Globetrotters stuff for the first six weeks of the year. And yeah. now, you know, that space is at a premium for those two.
0: Well, but you know what? As we talk about the all the benefits of reuniting the lotto line, I thought it was the most noticeably dynamic and dangerous game in New Jersey that, uh, that Hughes and Hronick have had in quite some time, right? Because they get out there a lot with those guys. And the benefits of stacking talent on top of talent – Uh, It applies to the defensemen who are out there with those guys too, right? It's not just a benefit for the forward. So, look, that's not the only solution because they're not exclusively going to be out there with that line. But, like, I thought that, you you know, it was kind of – I don't know if it had been front of mind for me, right? That, like, oh, we're not seeing those same types of uh, dynamic plays from Hughes and Hronick. But when I started to see them watching that game, I was like, oh, right. This looks different than it has for a little bit. And I think they really benefited uh, from getting to play with uh, Hederson, Miller, and Besser as well
2: yeah look it was a lot of fun i mean just a lot of fun like that was that was wildly impressive you know uh there's nothing else to there's nothing else to it like when you control play like that uh i mean you are luck proof and they were like they were that was a luck proof performance and you know i'm serious this that game in new jersey is not what most canucks wins have looked like this season like it just isn't it looked materially different and man my analysis is going to change awfully quickly if they start stringing those types of performances together, because that to me was a totally different brand, a, a far more sustainable brand of, of winning Canucks hockey than much of what we've seen to this point in the year.
0: And looking at the game tonight and the matchup with the New York Rangers, you know, as much as I I don't put a ton of stock into all the caveats about the New Jersey game, right? They're they're fine to use as context, but they don't take away from. Uh, how impressive well, the performance was for me.
2: Um, uh, it's not about taking away so much as it's just like...
0: Yeah, no, look, it, it's w- would it be more impressive if it was a re- against a rested New Jersey team and fully healthy? Yeah, of course it would. But even yeah. if you knock it down for that, it's still very impressive. You know what I mean? It,
2: it, it's still exciting. Yeah. It's still exciting. But, like, you know, do I expect 80% control again no. tonight? Like, no. No, obviously not, no, right? No, no. The... the, the like part of the reason it was so exciting was that it was so spectacular. I mean those were pyrotechnics. Like that mm. was unbelievable. Do I expect unbelievable? I don't. But if you get a if you if you make what's a coin flip and and granted the Canucks have won like 60% of their coin flips this year, but if you if you make it a coin flip or if you take up what what should be a coin flip and make it a weighted one, right? I, I that still matters. Like that extra 2 or 3% matters so much especially for a team you know, that, that I don't think can count on that the same level of finishing efficiency and, and, frankly, the same level of goaltending dominance as they've enjoyed for most of the year, right? Like, it still matters a ton. So I buy it. I buy it. But, man, that, that, like that Blackhawks-Devils game was so vicious, so high energy. Mm. Third and four nights. Like, the New Jersey injury list is approaching Chicago Blackhawks levels here, right? Like, no Pallott, no Hamilton, no Jack Hughes. I mean, you go down the list. Lose Siegenthaler mid game, like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I was, it was dramatic enough that I'm excited. I'm definitely not taking anything away from what I felt was like their was their best performance as a team, all season long. Maybe with the exception of that Blues game we often cite, uh, Jamie. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'm not, you know, but but I do think that context of like, hey, the Devils could be in real trouble. Like I need more time. I need more time. I need to see them sustain. Um, you know, that level of play or that level of territorial sort of oomph <laughs> for another, uh, for another like, five to ten games before I'm really buying. Well, it.
0: and the thing, you know, where I was going with it, the thing that's going to be different tonight, and, you know, there's a bunch of things different, obviously, but the, mo- the one I'm most curious about is, as you mentioned, New Jersey not just missing, in general, a bunch of players, missing specifically Jack Hughes, right? Like, the right. offensive superstar for New Jersey. Artemi Panarin's going to play tonight, right? So, like, for me... Yep. That's what I'm most interested in is because ultimately for the lotto line to be worth it, to be you know something that you feel like you have to stick with and that genuinely raises the ceiling for this team, it's got to be able to do it against the top players in the league. right? And they didn't get the chance. No no slight against them. Look, Nico Heischer is still really good, but Jack Hughes is the guy for the Devils. They didn't get a chance to do it against him on Saturday. They'll get a chance to do it. Against a, a you know a legitimate heart trophy candidate, we talked to Johnny Lazarus about how well Artemi Panarin is playing right now, and so that that's the kind of I don't want to say like the next test or the next step, but you raise the difficulty level a little bit, you raise the quality of competition a little bit, and. Again, as you said, it's not going to be like 80% control of shots or anything like that. It doesn't have to be. But if it's no. still just a really impressive performance and they're on the positive side of the ledger against a guy like Artemi Panarin, and we'll see what the matchups are. And, you know, I, I think Jad's on a different line, so who knows exactly what the uh, the matchup game will look like. But that's what I'm most excited about tonight is, okay, they didn't get a chance to do it at Jack Hughes. They're going to go up against Artemi Panarin tonight.
2: Yeah, me too. And, you know, that that's like honestly, this is probably the most excited I've been to cover and watch a Canucks game all year, honestly, because, you know, to get that sort of outcome from the, the load up the top of the lineup experiment, um, I need to see how they answer it. Like I need to see the follow up. I need to see the sample expand now, Um, you know, because uh, there were, there were some times earlier in the season where, where where we talked about the, you have my, um, you had my curiosity and now you have my Mm -hmm. attention bar, like the Canucks, absolutely like even beyond my attention (laughs) that that performance in newark uh grabbed me by the lapels um i I mean it was gripping hockey like it was gripping hockey it was the sort of hockey that i think if you can you know duplicate it uh, duplicate that effort duplicate the the process underlying it if not that level of result like you know then I think we start to really get into a different conversation about what this team could be. And that's exciting. Like that's genuinely exciting. uh, Given, you know, how, how reliant on sort of more ephemeral, like more ephemeral factors this team has been to, you know, carve out their tremendous record to this point.
0: Uh, final thoughts uh, before we wrap up here, just based on uh, what Rick Tockett started the availability they're talking about, which was the decision to take out Noah Juleson uh, for the Nikita Zadorov returning to the lineup after missing Saturday's game. And obviously, you know, Tockett, pretty tough decision for him, given how well Juleson is playing. I thought it was interesting that almost unprompted, he brought up the idea of kind of having a rotation of the seven defensemen they have and they trust now. And look, this is... The NHL, this is the Canucks with their travel schedule, so who knows how long they'll have seven healthy defensemen. But I thought that was really fascinating and speaks to how impressed talk it has been with Noah Juleson, right, that the decision was that hard and he's willing to kind of entertain the idea of having some some sort of rotational system for these guys as long as they're all healthy.
2: Yeah, you know, and I'm curious to see, like, I know it seems odd, But I'm curious to see how they handle Juleson's absence on the penalty kill.
0: Especially against Uh, this power play tonight.
2: 100%. I I actually think that's a big loss. Like, a a really big loss. Um, You know, one that's going to need to be accounted for in terms of how this team performs. How they deploy their players on the back end. So, you know, like, I'm not. Juleson's been so impressive four on five that I'm honestly not necessarily looking at this as something where it's like and the first choice top six play and this is what it'll look like like I don't think this is over necessarily in terms of being a battle for minutes at the bottom end you know this team's needs four on five are so significant and Juleson's been such a compelling partial answer to those needs that I like I wouldn't be shocked if on merit he works his way back into this lineup here
0: uh, that does it for us today. Uh, puck drop in just a couple hours there in Madison Square Garden. Drancer will be there to cover it live. We'll hear from him and his reaction tomorrow. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah uh, up next with Canuck, Canuck Central right here on Sportsnet 650.